Ladies and gentlemen, this is Daily Power Parsha for Tuesday, December 14th, 2021. You imagine 2021 is rapidly coming to a close, but what better way to experience this Tuesday afternoon than to study Torah together? And that is exactly what we are about to do. All right, Torah portion this week. As you know, Torah portion this week is Vayechi. Vayechi is the last Torah portion of the book of Genesis. We're about to close out the opening book of the Torah this weekend, and uh, that is certainly a monumentous occasion. We started this all the way back right after, actually on Simchat Torah, right after the holiday of Sukkot, where we started Bereshus. We started with, uh, with the beginning, with creation. We've talked about the story of Adam and Eve, and Cain and Abel, and Noah's Ark, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And finally, we're at the tail end of the book of Genesis, as the Jewish family, 70 strong and increasing by the day, the Jewish family is now in Egypt. Yesterday, as we began the Torah portion of Vayechi, we read about how Yaakov, Jacob, recognizes that he's getting of older age, and he needs to make some final uh, arrangements, arrangements for after he passes away. I was going to say after 120, but he actually he lived to 147. Anyway, so th- what are his arrangements? He calls his son Yosef, certainly the one who he loved, but also the one who could guarantee the facilitation of such a request. And he tells his son Yosef, I want you to promise, take an oath, swear to me that you are going to bury my remains, to bury me, back in the Holy Land, back in, uh, back in Israel or the land of Canaan, as it was called then, and, um, and, and that you'll do this kindness for me. He did not want to remain buried in the land of Egypt, even for a moment. Um, we had Rashi, I believe it was from Rashi, Rashi said that the, that the lice would ultimately, that's um, um, what I'm looking for, in, infest the land of Egypt when, with the plague of lice, one of the ten plagues, Dam Tzavardeya Kinim. Plague number three was Kinim was lice. So he did not want to remain in Egypt. He said, "Take me back home. Take me back to where my father and my grandfather and you know where 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 the mishpacha is to the cave Machpelah in Hebron, that piece of land uses it as a burial spot that was purchased by Abraham, which we studied together some weeks ago. All right. So that was yeah. Isn't it also true that he didn't want it to become a shrine? Yes, yes, that, and that was the third reason. Thanks for reminding me. I remember there was a third reason, but that was, that's what it was. The third reason was he did not want his burial place to become a shrine and become a place of essentially idol worship in the land of Egypt, a place where people served anything and everything. He did not want to become the recipient of that, of that service, of that worship. We also read yesterday... In the second reading, how at some point at that time, Yaakov's health, Jacob's health, turns for the worse. And he is now ill and in bed. And at that point, Yosef, Joseph, hears that his father is not feeling well. And so he brings his two sons, Menashe and Ephraim, he brings them to get a blessing. At that point, Yaakov reiterates his desire, Jacob reiterates his desire for his son Yosef, Joseph, to bury him back home to take his remains from Egypt back to, back to the Holy Land. And he says, even though I did not offer the same 
service, if you will. I didn't offer the same consideration for your mother, Rachel, because we buried her along the side of the road. We did not bring her back to the cave of Machpelah. Nonetheless, that was by divine command. That was for a reason. That was for a higher reason, for another reason. But please bury me back home, back in Canaan. And Yosef once again reiterates his, his acceptance of that, of, that, of that request. And then we have the moment of blessing where, um, where Yaakov, Jacob, wishes to bless Yosef's two children, Menashe and Ephraim. And we ended yesterday's session with this very curious tale of the arm switching, where Yosef stations Menashe, the firstborn, to the right of his father, and Ephraim, this, the younger brother, the younger son, is stationed to his left, and Yosef thinks that his father will bless his sons, i.e. Yaakov's grandchildren, grandsons, will bless the right hand, put the right hand on the older, the left hand on the younger son, and give the blessing that way. But what happens is that Yaakov stretches out his hand, his right hand on, on, Menashe, on Ephraim's head, the younger son's head, and his right hand, sorry, and his left hand on, I'm getting myself confused, right hand on Ephraim, left hand on Menashe, does the old crossover, and Yosef tries to correct his father, and his father says, I happen to know exactly what I'm doing, and this is all deliberate, so let's read this inside. Um, this is reading number three, Genesis chapter 48, verse 17. is the Torah portion. Let's begin. Here we get to the attempted correction from Yosef. And Joseph saw that his father was placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, who was the younger son, and it displeased him. Now, why did it displease him? Let me, just, let me just jump in for a minute here. Why did it displease him? Ephraim wasn't the older son. He wanted the, his father's right hand to be on his older son's head and the left hand on the younger son's and here, the younger son's head, and here he's switching it. That's on a simple level. On a deeper level, perhaps, he recognized firsthand how dangerous it was to have a scenario where the younger son is getting favored over the older son. He himself had suffered for 22 years. He had been... Um, well, he had suffered for um, 12 years and, and longer as he was sent as a slave to Egypt and uh, from, from the age of 17. So there's a lot of... Um, give me a second. So there was a lot of, uh, of, of, of history there with Yosef knowing what it's like to be the younger that gets favored and, and, and face the, the jealousy and the wrath of his older brothers. And, and Yosef certainly did not want, on a very simple level, did not want his, his own children, his own sons, to have that same type of friction, that same, same type of, of tension that might lead to animosity in his own family. So he did not want Ephraim now to get the blessing, to get the, the right hand of blessing. It's just you know, history repeating itself. So here's what he did. Listen to this. Verse 17 in the middle. So he held up his father's hand to remove it from upon Ephraim's head to place it on Manasseh's head. He literally takes his father's hand and begins to switch it back. Like his right hand and starts, he tries to adjust his father's hand physically. Now understand this. Yesterday we also mentioned that at that point Yaakov was not able to see. So maybe Yosef thought that his father simply couldn't see and, um, and therefore it's it's appropriate to take action to correct the switching of the hands. 
Yosef, and Yosef said to his father as he was doing this, so said Yosef to, to Yaakov, not so, father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. He was saying, Manasseh, the one on the right, he's the firstborn. As he's moving his hand, he says, this one's the firstborn. Put your right hand here. But his father refused. Yaakov, Jacob refused. And he said, I know, my son, I know. This is a powerful phrase. Yadaiti vini yadaiti. I know. He says it twice. I know, my son, I know. It's, I'm, it's not because I can't see. It's not because I'm unaware. It's not because I'm, you know, 147 years old and not able. That's not what's going on here. I know exactly what's going on. I know who is who. I know where is where. I know what's right. I know what's left. I know exactly what's going on. He continues to say, he too, Manasseh the elder, he too will become a people and he too will be great. Yes, you're right. Manasseh, your firstborn son, he'll be great. He'll become the father of a nation. His tribe will be great. Sure. But his younger brother will be greater than he. And his children's fame will fill the nations. In other words, the younger son has a brighter destiny, has a brighter future up ahead. Yes, the older son, Menashe, does indeed have a lot, of, a lot of good things coming his way, but the younger son, even more. Now, let's see how Rashi explains what exactly was Yaakov, was Jacob referring to? Who are we talking about? Who are the dest- what's the destiny of Menashe, the destiny of Ephraim? What is this? Rashi says, I know, my son, I know that he, Menashe, is the firstborn, and he too will become a people, etc. Rashi says, for Gideon is destined to be descended from him. Gideon, through whom the Holy One, blessed be he, will perform a miracle. Gideon was one of the, I believe, one of the shoftim, one of the judges of the Jewish people, and he was one of the leaders. And yes, there was a lot of, there were miracles that happened through him, or a miracle that happened through him. So the and, and he was from, from the family of Menasheh. So you have greatness in... So Menasheh will produce great people. But his younger brother, Ephraim, will be greater than he, says Rashi, on a, on a legacy level. It's referring to Joshua. For Joshua is destined to be descended from him, from Ephraim. And Joshua is the one who will distribute the inheritance of the land and teach Torah to Israel. He does two things. Does, uh, does Ephraim, sorry, does Joshua. Joshua, number one, divides the land. He's the one who will distribute the, the inheritance of the land. Remember that Moses passes away before the Jews enter Israel. Moses does not lead the people actually into the land. He leads them up to the land, but he doesn't lead them into the land. It's Joshua who takes them across the border. It's Joshua who, who leads them in battle against the indigenous powers, the indigenous kings and nations. It's Joshua who ends up settling and dividing the land and helping the people allocate, get, get their portions allocated. This is Joshua. And Joshua is also the one who was the spiritual successor of Moses as well, insofar as he was the next big Torah teacher to the Jewish people. So Joshua had two milas, had two, two qualities. Number one, he was the, 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 the general-in-chief. General-in-chief? Is that, is that what you call it? General? Whatever. He was the commander-in-chief. There you go, that's better. He was the commander-in-chief, the one who led the Jews into Canaan and divided the land. And number two, he was the spiritual leader of the Jewish people as well, following Moses. So, and, and, and where does Joshua come from? From Ephraim. So Yaakov tells his son Yosef, your sons are both amazing. Menashe will, give, give birth, will 
ultimately from Manasha will be born Gideon, who is a wonderful person, but from Ephraim, you get Yeshua, you get Joshua, and Joshua, he's the bomb. And here we go. His children's fame will fill the nations. Rashi says, what does that mean? What episode in history from the family of Ephraim will fill the nations, will make the front page of the, uh, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal? Here we go, says Rashi, said, and the Washington Post, okay, and the New Yorker. Which one? Which one? I could keep on going, but I won't. The whole world, says Rashi, will be filled when his fame and his name are spread, when he stops the sun in, Gib- in, in Givon and the moon in the valley of Ayalon. Yes, Yoshua, the same aforementioned Joshua, he, in a certain battle that happened in Givon, he stopped the sun, or the sun stopped setting because they needed that light to finish the war. And the moon, there was another story with the moon in the valley of, 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 of Ayalon, Ayalon and, uh, and that is... What, what, that, that's what the verse means. That's what Yaakov means. Jacob means when he tells his son Yosef that your, your son, my grandson Ephraim, he will give birth. Well, I mean, he will, what destined to be born from him will be Yeshua, Joshua, and the children of him will fill the nations. All the nations will know about the stopping of the sun and the moon situation in the valley of Ireland. Rabbi? Donna. So his younger brother will be greater than he. Um, how does this, you know, this kind of uh, comparison, um, you know, because we, we know that each of us has, even if we have one good deed to do in the world, and, and we're all equally valued. So, so, you know, naming one greater than the other, how does that coincide right. with that? Right. If everybody gets a trophy, so can anybody win? <laughs> That's the question. So do we look at everybody as equal? Or do we look at, or, or are we ranking? You're right. Typically, we don't rank. And I wouldn't rank, but Yaakov ranked. It turns out he has only one right hand. It turns out that he had to, he had to triage here, or he had to, he had to allocate a right hand somewhere. And so he says, although, Menashe, you're going to give rise to... Um, to, 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 to Gideon and, and, and wonderful people, but from Ephraim is going to come Yeshua, and Yeshua is going to be you know, prolific in, in his area. And thus, you get the right hand, Ephraim, and you get the left hand, Manasseh. I, I don't know that I could say more than that. I don't know if it... Uh, it there, there, even as we speak of the idea of, of equality... There's still the idea of diversity, and still there are differences. And can you, is it still on some level valid to rank? I don't know. I don't know if it's our job to rank, but Yaakov says his grandchildren, he has one right hand. This is where it's going to go. This is where it's going to go. It inspires us to do more, too. Yeah, I mean, it could be inspired to do more. Stop with one good deed. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Joy. Yaakov has insider information. We don't. Oh, there you go. Or you could say, right, That's I like that also, that Yaakov has insider information, and he knows that not right, because we don't know exactly what's going on, you know, what's here, there, whatever. But Yaakov knew, Jacob knew, he knew what was going to happen with his mishpach, he knew what was going to happen with the Jewish people. So he says, this is where the right hand is going to go, where the left hand is going to go. Look, you could also ask the question, which I think is a valid question, if anyway, Ephraim's going to have all these, you know, this great lineage and this, these great descendants, 
So give a right hand to Menashe to compensate. I mean, you could think of it the other way, right? The reverse psychology. These are good. It's all good questions. This is, this is the way it's brought down. Look, the deeper idea is what I shared already yesterday at the end of the session. I shared that, you know, it's not just about Menashe and Gideon and Ephraim and Joshua, Yeshua. It's not just about the people. It's about, it's about archetypes of, it's, or it's about, um, it's about concepts. It's about how we deal with trauma. It's about Menashe being, Menashe meaning to put away the trauma and Ephraim meaning to utilize the trauma for greater growth. And you have step one and step two, and you have to have step one before step two. One of them, Yosef looks at the chrono chronology of it. You got to first go one and two, right hand, left hand. And Yaakov says, nah, it's not about the order, it's about the ultimate. The ultimate is Ephraim, the growth. Secondarily, it's about getting through it. But even though one comes before the other, you got to look at the, at the big picture. You got to look at the, at the end game. Always have the end in mind when you start, and that makes the journey itself a little bit more manageable. Look, um, we have this reflected in their burial wishes, I think. I'm going to try to make a connection here. I hope it works out. Yaakov says, take me back home. As soon as I pass away, take me back home. What's the, what's the significance of that? He's looking at the end. It's like, we're going to all be there, be in Israel. That's the redemption. That's where you're headed after the, the Egyptian exile. Take me straight there. Let's cut, let's cut to the end. Right hand on Ephraim. The end is the growth. The end is Israel. Let's get there right away. In other words, he's not so much process, but really about destination. Not so much the journey. Yosef says, as we'll see at the end of this week's Torah portion, Yosef also... We read about Yosef's passing at the end. The very last verses of the, of, of the book of, of Genesis in this week's Torah portion tells us that Yosef died and he was buried in Egypt. Step one, step two. He's processed. We're not yet, we don't have the egg, we don't have the redemption yet. So first exile and then redemption. Step one, step two. Yaakov says, let's cut to the chase. We're going to get out of here. All right, I'm there already. I'm waiting for you guys. Right? He's like, you know, like some, a member of the family, some people are like, they don't want to wait for you to go to the restaurant. They're like, I'll meet you there. I'm at the restaurant. I have the table reserved, right? You show up whenever you show up, and I'll order for you. So Yaakov says, I'm going to Israel. I'll be there. I'll check you out when you get there. Yosef says, let me, let me go slow. Yaakov says, let's start with Ephraim and then Menashe. And Yosef says, Menashe and then Ephraim. Just different, different personalities, different ways. Is one better than the other? I don't know. Just different ways. Also, each one to his... To his, the challenges and responsibilities are given to each one as right. his ability. Right. One person had to do this way. One person had to do it. And you need both. You need a world that has both. Um, Ray, did you want to jump in? Hold on. Ray, did we lose you? <clears throat> we might have lost Ray. Okay. All right, Ray, when you get back, we will definitely, definitely take uh, Mark. Right, mom always liked you best. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, let's not create that is what Yosef is thinking on a, on a practical level, on a deeper level. There's, uh, there's these deeper themes. Okay, let's continue. Oh, so what's the blessing? What's the blessing? Let's go. So he blessed them, verse 20. At least, look, at least Yaakov learned from, the, from his own experience not to give different blessings. He gave them both one blessing. He, he combines them, even though he put the right hand, right, he did this, he did the old switcheroo, but he gave them one blessing. What's the blessing? Here we go, verse 20. He blessed them on that day, saying, 
with you, with you, you too, you little, you kids, with you, Israel will bless. They will quote your name when, they, when the Jewish people will bless their own children. They will cite your names and they will say, may God make you like Ephraim and like Menashe. That is the blessing, the traditional blessing of children or at least of sons. We say, Yesimcha Elokim Ke'Ephraim Ve'Chemenashe Me'Hashem Make you like Ephraim and Menashe. And that's the blessing that we give our children to this very day. So this is the blessing. What's the blessing? That everybody's going to aspire. Everyone's going to want to be like you guys. That's a blessing. That everyone's going to aspire to be like you. You're the role model. You're the benchmark. Right? You're the reference speakers, if we're talking audio, right? You're the reference. That's great. That's incredible. And notice that he placed Ephraim before Menashe. He placed Ephraim before Menashe. He says, may God make you like, the blessing will be, Ephraim first, Menashe second, once again, putting his priority on Ephraim over Menashe. Let's continue, and then we're going to go back. Yes, Mark. Uh, you know, in advertising, there's always a question, which is more important, primacy or recency? In other words, what was first said, what was last said? Mm. And based upon this, this blessing, what's first said, Sephraim, is, is the first part of the blessing. Good. Instead of Menashe. So Good. based upon that, you know, uh, primacy is more important than recency, yeah. Nice. Nice. I like that. I like that, uh, I like that debate. Very interesting. Yeah. Right. What sticks with people? The first impression or the last thing they heard out of your mouth? Good. Very interesting. Maybe plot twist. No, we're not, we're not going to plot twist this. Um, maybe Yosef felt it was, um, it was immediacy. What was it? Immediacy? Was it primacy? And what was the other word? Immediacy? Primacy and recency. Oh, recency. Primacy. Maybe, maybe yeah. Yosef felt it was recency, so that's why he wanted to frame last so that he would... Anyway, we could speculate. But yeah, that's a very interesting idea. But here, definitely, we see that Yaakov, Jacob, is, go, is, is, weight, is, is putting the weight on who goes first, and Ephraim is before Menashe. Okay, let's continue. Verse 21, And Israel, Yisrael, that's Yaakov, Jacob, said to Yosef, Behold, I am going to die, and God will be with you. So this is kind of his blessing to Yosef before his passing. He's going to give him another blessing, but this is some final words. I am going to die. He recognizes he doesn't have long to live. God will be with you, even in Egypt, even in, in, in exile, in slavery, not, with you, not only with you, but with your children, with your family. And he will return you to the land of your forefathers. This is Israel's promise to Yosef, Yaakov's promise to Yosef, that it will be good. You will get out of here at some point. And I have given you, this is specifically to Yosef, I've given you one portion over your brothers. He can't help it. Even at the end, he's like, I'm giving you something extra over your brothers. I always loved you. Which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. I'm giving you one extra portion above and beyond your brothers. What does that mean? What are we even talking about? Let's go to the videotape, and by videotape, I mean, let's go to Rashi. Here we go. 
And I have given you, says Rashi, why is he giving him something extra? Since you are taking the trouble to occupy yourself with my burial, right? Remember, it was Yosef that had accepted the responsibility to bury Yaakov back at home, back home in Israel, since you're the one that's, that's taking the time and, 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 and care and trouble to occupy myself, yourself with my burial, I have given you an inheritance where you will be buried. In other words, since you're burying me, I'm going to give you an extra piece of land that you can bury yourself or that you'll be buried ultimately in Israel. And which is this? Which is the place in Israel that was given to Yosef for, his own, for Yosef's own burial? This is Shechem. The city of Shechem, as it is said, and Yosef's bones, which the children of Israel have brought about of Egypt, they buried in Shechem. Ultimately, Yosef is buried in Egypt. With the exodus, he is exhumed. He's pulled up. Then his remains are transported 40 years in the desert. As the Jews enter Israel with Joshua, his bones, Joseph's bones, go with them, and ultimately he's laid to rest in Shechem. They buried Yosef's bones. Yosef's remains in Shechem, and that is the extra portion. Look at the, look at the English, verse 22, one more time. Take a look at this. Yo- Yaakov says to Yosef, Father says to Son, I've given you one portion over your brothers. That means an extra portion. If you look at the Hebrew, it's Shechem Achad. Shechem is a portion, and Shechem is the name of the city. Are you with me on this? You would never know it in the English. In the English, it's, called, it's a portion. In the Hebrew, it's Shechem. The actual city is Shechem. Shechem means portion. It's the one extra portion that Yosef got. I hope that makes sense. Let's continue. One portion over your brothers. In the Hebrew, it's Shechem. And that's, Rashi says, is the actual city of Shechem. The actual city of Shechem which will be for you one share over your brother. So your, the, the city of Shechem will be your Shechem. <laughs> your extra Shechem, your extra portion will be Shechem, the city of Shechem. Accordingly, we render Shechem, which is one share over your brothers. All right, here we go. Let's continue. Um, you should know what Shechem is. When I say you, we, we know what Shechem. You're probably wondering, like, what Shechem? Where is Shechem? Where did that come from? You and I know Shechem by now. Shechem was the name of the guy who abducted Dina. Remember this? Remember the guy who abducted, kidnapped, and assaulted her? Okay. Shechem was, his father's name was Hamar. And he was Shechem, and they wanted to marry him, and whatever, da da da. And then Shimon and Levi just destroyed them all, and they wiped out the city. Okay, what happened to that city? Yaakov says, that city will be given to you, Yosef, and that will be the place of your burial. And, and as Yaakov says, I took that city, or we took that city, from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. With my sword and my bow, that's referring to uh, Shimon and Levi's destruction of the city. That's how they got the city. Let's take a look at Rashi, with my sword and with my bow. When Shimon and Levi slew the men of Shechem, all those nations around them assembled to attack them. So all the nations wanted to attack Yaakov and his family. And Yaakov, Jacob, girded weapons of war against them. 
So that's what it means. He defended this. He defended the family, defended the city that they had just kind of acquired, and and that that has become the city. And now Yaakov is bequeathing it over to Yosef. Next, another explanation. One portion refers. Oh, it's a completely different explanation. One portion Shechem Achar doesn't refer to the city of Shechem. It refers to the birthright and indicates that Joseph's sons should take two shares. Shechem is a word meaning a portion, as the Targum renders. There are many similar instances in Scripture. We are not going to go through the, the proof texts in Scripture that use this word Shechem as a portion. The point is we have two different interpretations. One says that he got an extra city called Shechem. Another explanation is that he got the birthright. Yosef was given here the birthright. Even though he was child number 11, the firstborn child was Reuven, not Yosef. Yosef was number 11 of, the, of 12. He gives him here the birthright according to the second interpretation. Um, which I took from the hand of the Amorite. What does that mean? What does that mean? From the hand of Esau, who behaved like an Amorite. Another explanation of why Esau is called an, an Amorite is, he deceived my father with the sayings of his mouth. Um, Esau is the one who deceived his father. He used to pretend like he was more righteous than he actually was. Deception. With my sword and with my bow, i.e. his cleverness and his prayer, Rashi is not super happy with understanding sword and bow literally with armaments, but rather sword is cleverness, sharp wisdom, and bow is prayer. Like a bow and arrow, a bow that you know, flies up, yet prayer flies up above to Hashem. Let's go back a little bit to the blessing that Yaakov gives to Yosef's children, Ephraim and Manasseh, he says, with you Israel will bless. What does that mean? Whoever wishes, Rashi, whoever wishes to bless his sons will bless them with their blessing, with a blessing related to them, Ephraim and Manasseh. And a man will say to his son, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And he placed Ephraim before Manasseh and his blessing to give him precedence in the groupings of the tribes in the desert and also at the dedication of the tabernacle by the tribal princes. So not only, listen to this, not only is Ephraim first here in this blessing, but there are two more instances where Ephraim comes first. Number one, sorry, or number, number one in the blessing. Number two, in the groupings of the tribes in the desert, they encamped first. And number three, when they dedicated the tabernacle by the tribal princes, Ephraim went first before Manasseh in bringing their dedication offerings. Okay, that is reading number three. Let's pause here for a moment. Let me check in. Does that make sense? Yes? Do we like reading three? Maybe it could be with his sword and his bow, like bow down. That's, that's great. That is great. I love it. What is, I don't know the Hebrew. Is that, how does that translate? Kashti. Kashti means uh, my a keshet is a bow. Oh. Keshet is okay. also the word, Hebrew word for rainbow. We call a, ra- a rainbow a keshet. Bikashti means with my sword, but bikashti is also bakasha, which, me, with me, which means my request, which is prayer. So there is, there is an etymological connection. Bakasha or bakashti is my request, my prayer. Even though this, in, in the literal meaning is bakashati, is my keshet, my, my bow, here, if you read it all together with the, with the prefixes and suffixes, you can almost make a, a, a bit of a different word out of it. I still maintain that there's a connection because there's, there's enough letters that are similar between the two that li- very likely there's, um, there's, there's, a, there's a deeper connection. To me, the connection is just like a bow. 
is what you know flies, it, it, it soars. Our prayers are all about soaring, transcendence, transporting us. It's like a bow collapses space and time. You can, I mean, this is before obviously other weapons of war that could move even faster. But back in the day, let, let's put it this way. Initially, we can imagine that warfare was fought hand-to-hand combat. So unless you were right next to the other person, you couldn't strike them, which might be good. But then the, the bow and arrow creates a new, a new situation. With the bow and arrow, you can now you can eliminate an enemy. You can strike an enemy from a vast, from very far distance. Now, again, today we have you know, intercontinental ballistic uh, warfare, war, warheads and, and, and missiles, which is you know, obviously a different league. But the bone arrow begins the genre of long-distance combat and this idea of, 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 of collapsing time and really collapsing space. In an instant almost, you can move, you can, you can strike from where you are some other place. And the same thing is true with prayer. Prayer is what collapses our distance, the distance between create, creation and creator. It allows us to communicate. It allows us to have a relationship with Hashem. That's the way I'm understanding it. Also, I'll tell you something else. It says um, that the Lagba Omer, the, the day that we celebrate, the, we mark the passing and celebrate the life of Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai. So the tradition is, and you might be familiar with this, the tradition is that children go out to the field and play bow and arrow. Today, it's done probably less than it used to be, you know, Make sure, I don't think anybody wants their kids playing with real bows and arrows. It does not sound like a, like a recipe for success. If there's any bows and arrows, let's make sure they're the rubber-tipped, or not even rubber-tipped, like the foam Nerf ones that don't. But anyway, the point is that why the bow and arrow for Rabbi Bar Yochai? Also, a similar idea. The idea that, that to move, well, a, a bit of a twist on the idea for the, for the bow and arrow to work, for the arrow to fly, you have to pull the bow. You have to pull the arrow using the tension of the bow toward yourself. So think about it in the context of war. You have an arrow that's a deadly weapon. Let's say it's a poisonous arrow. You want to up the stakes? Sure, no problem. Let's do that. Let's put. Let's concept, conceptualize. Think about a poison-tipped arrow, piercing the heart of the enemy and killing them instantly. Okay, boom. And what do you do? If you're shooting that, you pull it close to your own heart. You first draw it close to you, and only then will it fly toward the enemy. Only then can it propel to the enemy. And the, the message here is, if you want to create an impact, if you want to you know, make a difference, if you want to change something out there, the first thing you have to work on is, ins- the first area you have to work on is inside. I first need to change myself before I can really have the profound impact that I'm seeking out there in the world. So just some messages about this. And prayer is really a time that we work on ourselves. Prayer is a time of introspection, a time of inner work. And that allows us to then reach further, whether it's above or, or abroad, if that's the right term, you know, here um, on this world, in this, this earth, to make a difference, to make a bigger impact. But, it, but a lot of the foundations is prayer. So I, I see a lot of connections. I hope some of them make sense. My head, it makes, uh, it makes the connections. Mark, it's because it's freezing outside. Of course I'm going to freeze on your phone. Yes, of course it's going to freeze. It's like 30 degrees outside. It was 30 degrees. This morning when I went out, it was 34 degrees. So I told my kids, I was trying to, ex- to explain the value. This is like 7 a.m. I was trying to explain the value of wearing layers. 
So I'm like, guys, you got to put on sweater, sweatshirt, jackets, coats, whatever. You got to put on something. It's going to 60, but you got to wear something. So I'm trying to explain like what's 30. I think it was 33, actually 33. I'm like, freezing is 32, which means if you take a cup of water, put it outside, right? It's going to freeze. That's how cold it is. <laughs> wear something. Anyway, most of them did. All right, back to our story. I'm kidding. They all did. All right, back to our story. Um, let's jump into, I think, I, I, think I, I like the idea of waiting our, yeah, okay. Hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a sneak preview for myself of the next reading. Let's do the first verse of the next reading. And that will be sufficient for today. You'll see what I mean in a moment. The next verse, which is the first verse of the next reading, is pretty impactful. Here we go, back inside. Reading number four, Genesis chapter 49, verse number one. Okay, here we go. Jacob called for his sons. At this point, he realizes that he does not have much time left, that he's really now he's on his deathbed, so to speak. This is going to be his final... You know, the final steps of his journey on life in this world. And he calls for his sons, all of his sons. Until now, it's been only Yosef and his sons. Now it's the other 11 sons. He calls for his sons and he says, Gather and I will tell you what will happen to you at the end of days. Rashi says, What does it mean that, I, that he said I will tell you, etc.? It means he attempted to reveal the end. Notice the end has a capital E. Very ominous, by the way. The end, like, oh, like, well, oh, man, shoot. I don't know if I like that end. No, it's not an ominous end. It's actually an amazing end. This is the end, like the end of exile, the end of suffering, the end of galut, the end of pain, the end of harsh reality, and the beginning of Mashiach. He was basically wanting to tell his children when Mashiach was going to come. He attempted to reveal this to his children, but the Shekhinah withdrew from him. He suddenly sensed that God was not with him in this. So he, either he forgot it, or he wasn't able to reveal it, or he realized that it just wasn't appropriate to tell his children when Mashiach was going to come. So instead, he began to say other things, and that is what the reading continues to talk about, the blessing that he gave each of his sons. He gave them, gave them a blessing, gave them a few parting words, um, each one in turn, he went through all of his 12 sons. Now this is what Rashi says, and Rashi gets it from the Talmud Psachim, as well as the Medrash, uh, Barashas Rabbah 98.2, as you see there. What's fascinating, what's fascinating, is the implication of this. That Yaakov wanted to tell his children when Mashiach was going to come. Not just when the Egyptian exile was going to end. That's, that could be understood on a, on a, on a simple level, or on a, on a more basic level. He attempted to reveal the end. In other words, the end of Egyptian suffering. He was telling his children, guys, hang in there. In a few hundred years, you're going to get out. But that's not really what, the, what our sages mean when they say he, he attempted to reveal the end. They explain he attempted to reveal the ultimate end. In other words, from this current exile, this is the fourth and final exile, after which comes Mashiach and the rebuilding of the third temple. It was this end, the end to this Current, the one that we're experiencing right now, and to this exile that Yaakov wished to reveal. But he wasn't able to. He wasn't able to. 
Why not? Because God didn't deem it appropriate. So what happens? The Talmud tells us, and the Medrash tells us, that Yaakov thought, listen to this, Yaakov thought that maybe it was one of his children that was unworthy, or maybe more than one, were unworthy, which is why he was unable to reveal this big secret. Maybe the reason why God says, no, 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 don't do this, is because they're not worthy of, of, of hearing it. So, so they said to him, you should know, so he thought that as one of his children or maybe more than one was unworthy, meaning that they weren't on the same page of monotheism as he was. They weren't on the train. You know, they, had, they had gone their own way. So his sons at that, I'm, I'm filling in the narrative. You don't see it in the, in the Torah, but this is the family story. We, we know this story. So his sons cry out in unison. Listen to this. They tell him, Shema Yisrael. Hear Yisrael. We typically translate as hero Israel. But who is Yisrael? Who is Israel? Yaakov. Shema Yisrael. Listen, Yisrael. Listen, Israel. Hashem Elokeinu. Hashem, God is our God. Hashem Echad, God is one. You with me on this? His sons attempt to reassure him that they are all believers, that they are all monotheists, that they are all following the path begun by Abraham, continued with Isaac, and continued with Jacob. They were on the train. They, they're, they're, they, were, they, were, they were plugged in. So they say, Shema Yisrael, listen, Israel, our father, the literal father, Hashem Elokeinu, God is our God, Hashem Echad, God is one. They, the, the, the actual phrase of the Shema, the first time it was said, was them to their father to calm him down at that moment when he was a little bit panicking about where his sons are. Because again, his divine prophecy got pulled and he thought, uh-oh, maybe they're unworthy. So they said, no, it's not us. It's not for some reason, God doesn't want you to share it, but it's not us. It's not that we're unworthy. It's that the message is not to be shared at this time. But Shema Yisrael, here, Israel, here, Dad, Hashem Lekin Hashem Echad, we are with you. God is our God. God is one. Upon hearing that, listen to this, upon hearing that, Yaakov replies to his sons, or he exclaims out loud, Baruch Hashem. What does Baruch Hashem mean? Thank God. And he said it specifically, Baruch Shem, Kavod Malchuto, Le'elam Va'ed. Blessed is Hashem, who, the glory, whose glory in his kingdom. Blessed is the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. Basically, he was saying, Baruch Hashem, thank God that my sons are on the same page. So the very first, we say this in the Shema every day, multiple times a day. We say, Shema, Yis Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Elokeinu, Hashem, Echad. And then we say, quietly, Baruch, Shem, Kavod, Machotot, Olam, That phrase, one, and phrase two, first were, were, were uttered in this gathering of his children by his bedside. Jacob, Yaakov, Israel wants to reveal Mashiach's coming to his children. He's not able to. He fears the worst. His children tell him, "Don't. No, it's not us. And he says, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Kavod, Machuto. And the rest is history. All right. Make sense? So that really shows our connection to the Torah. I mean, yeah. 
connection to the Torah and the Torah in Deuteronomy, when Moses says Shema Yisrael again, it's really an old phrase from the family. It's, it's Moses who said those words, Shema Yisrael, it's in, in Deuteronomy. Remember Moses, the whole Deuteronomy is pretty much Moses' monologue or conversation, his, his final, his last words to the people. And amongst those words, he says, Shema Yisrael, listen, O Israel, speaking to the people, listen, people, Hashem, but he gets that phrase first uttered by the children of Yaakov at his deathbed when he was concerned that they were not on board. And I need to add one more thing, and, and with this we'll close out. The, the sons tell him, according to our sage, according to the Talmud and Medrash, they said these words, rak Just like in your heart, Dad, there's only one, God. Likewise, in our heart, we only, we only believe in one God. Just like you're monotheistic and only monotheistic, so to us, Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekin Hashem Echad, we have the same one God as you, just like you, like us. The commentaries it's say. It's also nice that it comes from the 12 tribes, but yeah, that's all of us. That's all of us. But what, what do the commentaries say? Look what they told their father. Just like in your heart there's only one, so too in our heart. What were they saying? That why is it that we are monotheistic? Why is it that we're on this path? It's because of you. This was the nachas they were giving their father, that all that we have, and we have what we have, and they were affirming that, number one, and reassuring him, number two, but they were also giving him credit for what they had. They were saying, just like within you it was real, so too in us it's real. So to us we're believers, but we're believers because you are a believer. You charted, you, you were the role model for us. And that's a beautiful thing for a parent to hear in their final moments. For a parent to hear a child acknowledging, not, so there's two things. Number one, to see your child be a mensch is, is tremendous nachas. But that for them to then tell you that the reason why they're a mensch is because of you, that's very special. So if it's still possible, we should tell our parents how much they've, they, 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 they have meant to us and continue to mean to us. If, you know, I, I, I'm going to retract that. Not if it's possible. It's always possible. If you can pick up the phone and do it, or do it that way. If you need to communicate in another way, then do it that way. But communication is always, as we've discussed countless times in many courses, Journey of the Soul, et al., right? All these courses that we've had on souls and life and afterlife and connections. The Rebbe writes the letter, that was a famous letter that we've quoted many times. A bullet, a piece of shrapnel, doesn't sever a relationship. This was to a war widow in Israel. She lost her husband. The Rebbe says, a piece of metal severs a relationship. It's not how it works. It takes out the body, perhaps. It, it compromises the body, but not the soul, not the spirit, and not the relationship either. So it's appropriate to, number one, to be the person that, uh, that will give our parents nachas, and number two, to let them know that they, had a, that they played a big role in that. All right, that's it for today. I hope the messages resonated for you. I hope the story makes sense. I hope the story is meaningful. Tomorrow we continue. I'll tell you what we're going to do tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to look at Yaakov's final words to his sons, to the 12 tribes, 12 sons that became 12 tribes. Um, each one gets a unique message. Some, a little bit um, 
a little bit harsh. Not all, you know, uh, sunshine and, I don't know, whatever it is. Not, it's not all, you know, rosy. Some of his sons he kind of, you know, admonishes a little bit. But these are his final words to his family, and they certainly hold profound meaning for us as we'll study it tomorrow. Okay, so that takes us. Yes, Donna. So today is the 10th of Tevis, right? Yes. So I found, I was looking for more commentary on the idea of the, the bow and the sword, and I came upon this in Habad.org, which talks about today, but what I, real, what I found was um, the explanation, you know, we always say, why are we so small at this day and age? You know, a couple of million of people. Yeah. And yeah. it says the that is not because you are the most populous of the nations did God desire you, but because you are the smallest. Mm-hmm, the small mm-hmm. one shall be for a thousand and the young one for a great nation. The idea of humility. Nice. God nice. chooses more those who are small, humble. Yes. And Unclos translates, with my sword and with my bows, with my prayer and my request. I'm, 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 I'm literally looking at it right now, which refers to the general service of prayer. Before prayer, a person must be in a state of humility. Yeah. And it also talks about why it's the younger brother. Mm. Yeah. All right, so everyone, copy that, copy or, or, or click on that link. Beautiful, beautiful um, insight. Talk of the Rebbe from 1982, which is... No. 10th of Tevate, 5742. Maybe that year was 1982, but this year it's, um, it's still the ones. 5742, 1982, 92, 02, 12, 22. It's exactly 40 years to this day. It's exactly 40 years to this day of, wow. that, of that talk that you, that you linked. And 40 is a special number too. Yeah, 5742, this year is 5782. So it's 10th of Tevate, 5782 is exactly 40 years from that, from that talk. So on this day, 40 years ago, that's what Donna signified. And what's the significance of 40? 40 is very significant. 40 is significant on many levels. It also says that 40 is the um, amount of years it takes to fully understand your teacher. It says, At 40 years, you finally begin to unpack all of the wisdom of your teacher. So I would say, if you have some time today, by divine providence, Donna found this, linked this, 40 years ago to this day, might be something cool to unpack. 40 years later. All right. Not might. I say might only because, you know, I want it to sound nicer. But definitely give it a shot. and Give it a try. You'll like it. All right. We'll see you guys tomorrow. But for those of you that are joining us tonight for Kabbalah the Matrix, you are in for an, a massive treat. We have an amazing class tonight. If you thought last, uh, last week's class was amazing, this week will knock both of your socks off. Tonight, 8 p.m., Kabbalah the Matrix, plug in online on Zoom. And um, if you didn't join us last week, not too late. If you know someone who might enjoy it, hook them up with the info. And uh, we'll see you later and or tomorrow. All right. See you. Donna, Sandrine, Sarah, and Olia. Have a wonderful day. Take care, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.